Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We're actually rebooting our staff meeting devos where every week our staff talks through one piece of our mission, vision, and culture. This week, Pastor Tom shares a devo called Climb the Mountain. Let's go. Alrighty, well, I wanna go ahead and read um, a couple of verses from a psalm. So this is from Psalm 24, verse 3. This came up on uh, uh, a, a plan I'm doing on version right now. I thought it was helpful to share. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. Now that verse is nowhere around it. It is a slap upside their head. But I want to sort of walk through it a little bit. And I think there's some really helpful stuff in there. And I hope it's going to be encouraging. But the first thing is, this starts off with this question, this idea about climbing the mountain. Climb the mountain. Now, literally in the Old Testament, the temple sat atop Mount Zion. So you literally had to climb the mountain to get to the temple. And even the tabernacle was on top of a mountain in Shiloh, the town in, uh, around Jerusalem. And so the idea of having to climb a mountain to go and worship the Lord is a literal picture. You know, it, it, it's not just metaphorical. I believe it is, but it is also a literal image that we had to climb the mountain to go and worship. And the message is clear. It's clear in this psalm, and I think it's clear in our experience. If you want to stand in his holy place, there's a climb. The psalmist goes on about who is able to do this in verse 4. Only those whose hands and hearts are pure. Now, as I read that, how that made sense to me, of course, this is a psalm, and so you'd expect it to be poetic language. But in that hands and hearts, you have hands which reflects action, what you do, what you put your hand to, what you get up to, the, the things that you put, give your time to. Like, what is it you're doing? It's actions. And then your heart, that's motive. That's our intention. That's our purpose behind it. So really we have this picture of the hands and the hearts, the actions and the motives, the habits and the attitudes are all supposed to be pure. It's both. You know, Jesus talks, um, Sermon on the Mount, you'll know this well. Jesus talked about hating someone is essentially murder in heart. Lust is adultery in the heart. Purity is not just behaving ourselves. And similarly, purity is not about just having good intentions. It's both. It's possible to do one and not the other. It's possible to do the right things with bad intentions. It's possible to have good intentions, and yet our actions do not reflect the good intentions that we have. We fall into moments of you know, lapses of judgment and all those kinds of things. The important thing that we have here, and the example we get here from the psalmist, is to have our hands and hearts pure. It's both. A helpful way to think about it is uh, the two wings of a bird or a plane, and the idea that if one is strong but the other is weak, the only way that ends up is a downward spiral. The only way the plane can fly, the only way even a bird can fly is by having two strong wings, by having hands and hearts pure and on the right page, honoring God, living with godliness. Because again, if it's just one, it doesn't matter. Bird, plane, doesn't matter whether it's the wing of a good heart or the wing of good hands. If there's only one operating, it always ends in a downward spiral. The psalmist goes on, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. Now, of course, we, we know, and I'm sure we've heard teaching and messages before, idols is anything that takes our priority off of God. And then we have lies as the next thing. So do not worship idols. Don't worship anything. Don't prioritize anything beyond God. We understand that one. And then it says, never tells lies. Now, I would say that lying, deceitfulness, untruths, dishonesty, manipulation, these are the biggest destructive forces between relationships. 
These are the things that cause separation and cause problems between us as people as we're trying to relate and build community and try and have healthy families. It's the dishonesty that is oftentimes the strongest force that comes against that. It's the most destructive thing that we can imagine is having this dishonesty just rolling. It's the quickest way to lose trust is uncovering somebody's been into lies. Trying to regain that trust is not easy. But here in our relationship with God, if it's strong, we're climbing up the mountain and we're gonna stand in God's presence, then we're going at it. Our hearts are not towards idols. We've committed that we're gonna have good relationship with people. We're not gonna depend on deceitfulness. We're not gonna depend on lies. And there's also this idea that we've got both wings. Our intentions are good, our actions are good. This is what it's saying, if you're gonna climb the mountain, if you're going to come into the Lord's presence, these are the things that need to be evident in our lives. Now, why are we bringing all this up? What's this all got to do with us? Especially in staff meeting when we're trying to think about, you know, the mission, vision, and the culture of the church and talk about leadership habits and all this kind of things. Why are we bringing this up? Well, firstly, every believer, every believer everywhere, ever, anywhere on the planet, if someone has decided that they are going to follow Jesus and they have made him Lord of their life, they have picked up the responsibility of leadership. Every single believer has the responsibility to make disciples to fulfill their part, no matter what that is, in the Great Commission. We are all called to have a positive influence for the glory of God. So as a believer who takes their call to disciple, lead others seriously, we should hear two things in this passage. As we've read those Psalms, there's two things that should be going through our minds. The first is these are the things we need to be doing to climb the mountain. This needs to be evident in our lives. But as a leader, as someone that takes that charge and that call and that commission to lead others and disciple others, the second thing we also need to hear here is we have a duty and a commitment to help others climb the mountain. Psalm 24, verse 3. Let me go through this. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? We should also be have in our minds, deep in our heart, is how can we help people climb the mountain of the Lord? How can we help people stand in his holy place? As it goes on in verse 4, only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. How do we help people have pure hearts and pure hands? How do we help people abandon idols? How do we inspire people to tell the truth? These are the things, if we're taking this leadership charge responsibility, that we are called not just to follow Jesus, but also to help bring others with us to go into all the world and make disciples, no matter where life takes us. If we take that seriously, as we read Psalms like this, it's not enough for it just to be a challenge for us. It's right and it's appropriate and it should be a challenge for us. But if we're taking that call to be disciple makers seriously, it also comes with it. How do I help other people rise to the challenge? How do I help other people climb the mountain? So I've got a couple of practical ideas as I walk through the psalm. How do we help people climb the mountain? First one, don't shy away from it being a climb. Don't shy away from it being a climb. The gospel message, the message of Jesus, the good news of the cross, the good news of the empty tomb on that first Easter morning, it does not mix well with salesmanship. In sales, I've worked in sales before. I had a good time working in sales. I've met plenty of honest salespeople. This is not a dishonorable trade by any means. But in sales, you have different techniques to try and get people to buy something, such as try before you buy, 30-day money-back guarantee, a salesperson will minimize the payments. You know, you can be the proud owner of whatever for just the cost of one cup of coffee a day. A good salesperson is prepared to respond to any objection you might have. Basically, the purpose of a salesperson 
is to find a hook that makes you want it, believe you need it, then minimize the effort of buying it and then maintaining it. Selling the gospel is terrible. This is addressing the most important thing in the world. The gospel of Jesus addresses the most important thing in the world, the devastation that sin has in our lives, both now and eternity. By telling people that this is easy, by phrasing the gospel like it's a money-back guarantee, by phrasing the gospel like there's a 30-day try before you, before you buy, by phrasing it as in, oh, no, this, this is just like a cup of coffee. Or we can even start saying that, you know, just add church to your calendar. It's a, it's a good thing to have in your week. It's minimizing the gospel. It's turning the gospel into something that we're selling instead of proclaiming the good news of Jesus. To just put church and, uh, you know, activity within the community of fellowship and just sort of position it as this is just something to add on. This is another extracurricular activity. It's right up there with Little League and being on the bowling team. You also go to church. That's not the message of Jesus. It's minimizing it. And it's not telling people and it's not being honest with people. This is a climb. So the first thing that I wanted to put to everybody is that we do not undersell. We don't shy away from it being a climb to follow Jesus, to climb the mountain, is to live a life of purpose, is to embrace the adventure and the roller coaster. And we don't help anyone by trying to sell them that this is easy, that this is simple, that this is try before you buy, this is casual, this is just another thing to tack on to your life, this is another hobby to pick up, this is something that's really, really fun, you and your kids are going to have a great time. If you... No, that's, that's not the message of Jesus. This is getting at the heart of the biggest problem that we have and is the most important thing that we're a part of. Second thing, remind people the blessing of being in his holy place. That's the language that the psalmist uses, in his holy place. Remind people the blessing of being in his holy place. It's easy enough to translate this to drag people to church. And honestly, after being shut down for two years, I'm not sure that's the worst thing in the world. Being in church is amazing. Being around other believers is amazing. It's encouraging. It's uplifting. It's challenging when we need a challenge. It's good to have the practice of getting to church and not just breezing in and breezing out, but making friendships, making connections. Being here, being in church, gathering together, worshiping together, having a chance to go and receive prayer together, spending time in the cafe before and after service, all those things are incredible and it's amazing. And when we talk about the blessing of being in the house of God, being in his holy place, those are the kind of things that come to my mind. Believers that love God, and they do love God, and they've put their faith and their trust in Jesus. But for whatever reason, they don't make church a priority. They don't get themselves to church. I love you. I'm not mad at you. But you're missing out. You're missing out on the community. You're missing out on the challenge. You're missing out on the support. You're missing out on people doing whatever they can to help you climb the mountain so that you can continue to grow in your relationship with God. So second thing is don't uh, remind people the blessing of being in his holy place. Third thing. Applaud godly actions and attitudes. We read about hearts and hands being pure. That each one feeds the other. Having a healthy attitude it naturally overflows into actions. I think that's easy enough to grasp. But what I uh, really sort of didn't pay enough attention to until really, uh, pretty recently, after reading a number of behavioral psychologists, they're starting to see more and more connection between um, positive actions are helping shape mindsets. They're starting to observe that more and more. I think that the traditional idea, which I think is correct, I don't think it's false, but the idea that having a, you know, feeding your mind and feeding your attitude and getting your attitude in check and getting your heart right, that will then overflow into good actions. I think that's correct. I don't dispute that. But what's often been underplayed, and I will say I have underplayed this and underappreciated this, is that there are times when you need to tell your heart what's good by doing something good with your hands. A great example I've, I've heard from this is, 
people that are in a tough spot in life. Things are not going well, things aren't great, things aren't fair, there's plenty of reasons to be you know, annoyed and frustrated and upset. Do something to help your neighbor. There, there's something about this. I, I've heard, um, I, was, I was listening to, uh, I I'm, probably shouldn't admit this, but I've started now, so I have to finish. But I was, I was uh, eavesdropping on a women's conference, and the whole thing was, if you're down in the dumps, get up, bake some cookies, take them to the neighbors. Makes total sense. It, it's your hands getting your heart on the right page. And so I, I think we're, we're familiar, and I think we're all comfortable with, if your heart's right, if your head's right, then that will overflow into our actions. But what is possibly underappreciated is that our actions can oftentimes remind our heart of what's good. By putting our hand to something positive can lift us up out of that. So our part in this is that if we're encouraging people to do this, if we're doing this ourselves, our job is to point it out when we see it. When we see people with pure hearts and we see people with pure hands and we see people that are, are, are flying with both wings that are strong, I would say our job as leaders, our point of encouragement is to point it out when we see it. When you did X, Y, Z, it meant a lot. I saw how you responded to whatever and I thought you handled it really well. I know, you meant, uh, I know that meant a lot to so-and-so when you did that. This time last year, if that would have happened, I don't think you would have forgiven that person. That was really kind. It made me want to do more of that stuff. I know so many people who would have gotten bitter about all this, but you're responding it with such level perspective. That's the th uh, third thing. Applaud godly actions and attitudes. Point it out when you see it. When people have got pure hearts, pure hands as leaders, let's point it out as we're helping people make the climb up the mountain. Fourth thing. Have brutal conversations about idols. Have brutal conversations about idols. I'm reading a book right now, and one of the things that the author is doing is interviewing uh, military officers, specifically um, some guys from the Navy SEALs. And one of the things that uh, they try to bring to the Navy SEALs is they go through you know, rigorous training. I mean, it's, it sounds absolutely insane, the training that they go through. But one of the things that they'll do with the guys as they're taking through this training is they try to even the playing field and they try to have less of, this is the chain of command, so you will do whatever I say. The idea being is that if you've made it to this elite group, you've earned a seat at the table to have a voice. So uh, the, one of the instances that's used is that if an officer is stood by a window in a war zone, that's highly dangerous. So then the officer will sort of put to the new recruits is that if I'm stood in front of a window and I could be taken out very easily, are you going to tell me to get out of the way? To which they say, yes. To which he says, I need you to have that perspective all the time. All the time. I need you to tell me at any moment, you're in danger. You're off base. Because any decisions that we make here have life and death consequences. You know, the Navy SEALs, they don't get around and talk about what color they're going to paint the mess hall. They talk about life and death stuff. So in anything, we need to be pointing out, if you keep going down here, this is going to be dangerous. Don't stand by the window. A couple of questions that I kind of thought of as might churn out some of this conversation. It's brutal no matter how you do it. But here's some ways to bring up that conversation. Do you think you care too much about that? Are you confident your priorities are straight? Or, this one's excellent, would you recommend I start doing that? Man, you start putting that mirror up to people? Oh my goodness, things get fun. It's uncomfortable, might go terribly, but it's important. It's treating people honestly. 
a verse from Romans, it doesn't specifically address this, but I think the principle carries is Paul uh, talking about the evangelism and the people hearing the gospel, but he says this, how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And I was thinking about that in relationship to this, you know, us trying to address people holding on to idols in their life is if we don't tell them, how are they going to hear? You know, how are they going to hear unless someone tells them? And I think as leaders, it falls on us to be the ones to tell them. All right, last thing. Make it easy for people to tell the truth. We talked about idols. Now we're talking about not having lies. Make it easy for people to tell the truth. Well-known verse from 1 Peter, love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. There's a bunch of reasons why we lie. We lie to cover our tracks. We lie to impress people. We lie to try and get ahead. The honest truth is, none of it works. None of it works. It never gets us where we think it's going to take us. It destroys relationships. We all know this. So what I would say is make it easy for people to tell the truth. Let's be slow to judge, slow to anger, quick to forgive. And after working with people in ministry, I mean, really all my adult life, the best advice that I've been given that I've taken on board and I've shared with others is live a life where it's easy to tell the truth. Live a life where it's easy to tell the truth. Share that with as many people as you can. Live a life where it's easy to tell the truth. Nice, boring, plain, vanilla. Live a life where it's easy to tell the truth. Now, the psalm goes on in verse 5. We've read verse 3 and 4. I want to go on to verse 5. They, this is then, after they've done this, after they've climbed the mountain, pure hearts, pure hands, after they've you know, committed to tell the truth, they've been done with idols, they've climbed the mountain, then they will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, their Savior. Now, New Testament believers need to always remember that the gospel reverses the order of all this. The Old Testament people, they had to climb the mountain, they had to have pure hearts, pure hands, no idols, no lies, before they could receive the Lord's blessing or have right relationship with God, their Savior. Jesus turns it backwards. Now it's possible to experience His blessing, have a right relationship with their Savior before ever setting foot on the mountain. Now it becomes, now I'm forgiven, now I'm set free, now I'm loved, now I'm appreciated. Let's hear more about this mountain. Let's go get the mountain. Jesus made it possible for us to start this ascent, to climb the mountain, forgiven, loved, accepted, in right relationship with him. It came up last night in group we were talking about uh, Sunday's message. So we're looking at John 6, and one of the verses that um, from Megan's sermon from Sunday wasn't something that she hit on and didn't expand on a great deal, but it certainly spurred conversation in the men's group last night, is John 6, 29. Jesus told them, this is the only work God's want from you. Believe in the one he has sent. That, that is what it is. That confidence, that belief in him, that puts us in right relationship with God. That causes us to be forgiven. That opens the door to God's blessing. And then there is a loving call to climb the mountain, to be in God's holy place, to receive blessings from him, to grow in our relationship with him. Our starting point is what the Old Testament Psalm promises as the end result. Blessed, right relationship with God our Savior. But for Jesus, he sets us free. He sets us right. So we're ready, motivated to climb the mountain. And as leaders, we're ready to help others climb with us. Don't shy away from it being a climb. Remind people the blessing of being in his holy place. Applaud godly actions and attitudes. Have brutal conversations about idols. Make it easy for people to tell the truth. Lord Jesus, thank you that you did make it possible. 
Lord, thank you that we don't climb a mountain to have right relationship with you. We don't climb a mountain to be blessed by you, to be known by you, to be loved and accepted by you. But Lord, when we find ourselves in right relationship with you, with your love and your goodness and your grace just falling all over us, Lord, that there is a mountain that I get to climb so that I get to see your goodness. I get to see more of your glory. Lord, please help us, equip us. Lord, sharpen our hearts. Give us eyes to see so that we can help others climb the mountain. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We believe you're moving through this church. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen, amen.